This is the nose. Yes, pandemic or no pandemic, there's still a nose, a weekly cultural roundtable. We get some of our friends together to talk uh, about the latest in culture. And today we're going to be talking about the movie Onward, uh, which is a new Disney Pixar release about elves. Um, what else? And but I think the elves are very realistically depicted here, too. Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, we're also we should say for the first time that I can remember, we're also going to have uh, a couple of kids come on and talk about that particular kids movie. And then not so much for the kids. Tiger King, which is just chewing up Netflix right now. Uh, it is the well, somebody called it a John Irving novel, except that it's real. Uh, and that's as good a place to, to leave it for now. But a lot to say about that series, which seems to be tailor made for people in their bunkers looking for something to pass the time. All right, so uh, let me introduce the panel. Uh, let me tell you a little bit more about what's happening uh, here, uh, which is that I'm in my house, as usual. Uh, this is now our second full week of doing things this way. Cat Pastor is uh, in the studio making that whole thing happen. Uh, Jonathan McNichol produced this episode. He's at home, and then everybody else. Well, actually, one person I think is maybe not at home, but Carolyn Payne is at home. She's an actress, comedian, dancer, uh, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance, and organizer of exciting neighborhood events. Uh, <laughs> Tracy Wu Fastenberg is a development officer at Connecticut Children's. It just says Connecticut Children's. That <laughs> can't possibly be right um <laughs> connecticut children's what tracy with fastenberg it was rebranded it used to be connecticut children's medical center now it is just connecticut children's this really connecticut children's i, I, just, yeah. I, I missed that rebrand all right yeah. so it's i think you're going to spend the rest of your life people go yeah connecticut children's what though anyway <laughs> uh, or people still call it that yeah that's why people don't ask me about these things pedro soto is president and ceo of high grade precision technologies you're working today right pedro I am. I am uh, chatting from my office right now. Uh, right. We're a defense and medical critical industry uh, making parts and helping making parts for uh, medical and aerospace right now. So we're open, practicing appropriate social distancing and, and uh, getting things done. I feel unpatriotic making you talk about some trashy Netflix series when you probably should be saving the nation. Uh, no, but that's all right. the, the, the break is much appreciated. Uh. <laughs> so the first thing uh, we're going to suggest, we're going to talk about, which I think might have been suggested by Carolyn, although one loses track, is before we get to those two cultural products, the phenomenon we now have of being in contact with one another through Zoom or FaceTime or uh, any number of other somewhat visual but not like being there uh, modes of, uh, of inter interaction. And so, Carolyn, it turns out that anybody who has you up on their screen in one of these formats should be aware they are being judged. Yeah, I have found that I am a total uh, I, I'm judging everyone so hard right now. I, every time I have a Skype meeting, um, I, I just all I'm focusing on is like looking at their house and I'm like looking at what books they have in the background. I'm looking at their kitchen. I'm looking at their pictures, their art, like what color their walls are. Uh, so obviously I am not at all focused on anything important. Um, but luckily, most stuff I do is not, you know, critical. <laughs> <laughs> no critical things. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just fascinating to me. We are seeing inside the lives, the private lives of people in ways we never did before and probably never really needed to. 
Right. Carolyn, I mean, you're, you're the ahead. reason why I put up the like tropical background on my Zoom meeting today. So I am nobody the would have to look at whatever was going now. on in my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 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 with Zoom, you can do. I haven't really figured out how to, how to do that yet. And but you know, there's the other problem that it's not just the unfolded laundry or whatever that's in the background. It's also us. You know, we have to make these very specific decisions about how we want to interact in this one very limited way. For example, Jonathan McNichol is pointing out that, uh, you know, he usually, usually wears a jacket in the office on show days, but now he just changed out of, changes out of his PJ pants, pants and into jeans. And so, Pedro, that's a whole other set of choices, right? If we're at home and we're Zooming or Skyping uh, or FaceTiming, we've got to decide what kind of version of us we want to show the world wait but why is mcnichol wearing pants (laughs) i mean like (laughs) that's a conversation you should have privately with him but (laughs) no i agree actually you know watching uh a a lot more news than i i usually do it's interesting kind of seeing uh you know kind of all these people talking from their homes and actually just last night i was looking and i was like you know i wonder if that guy on MSNBC, like set up all of those books specifically to kind of project what he was trying to project. Um, but it's definitely interesting to see the difference and the difference in, in the approach of how everyone's kind of using these. I've been doing, you know, board meetings and and, and a lot of audio stuff and, and some of the video. So, but it is crazy. The other thing I've noticed is, uh, especially just even on phone calls and things is, you know, I now know everyone's pets and kids. Yep. You hear them in the background. I've heard probably about 15 dogs this week, you know, barking away. So, yes, Did you I'm just good. hear mine? Because our mail came and, uh, and no. she's going back <laughs> Yeah, actually, Declan, my dog, is actually under a separate kind of lockdown during the show. Uh, <laughs> he really wants to be in here, too, and he's not, not happy about it. But uh, he would be scanning the horizon for interlopers and strangers. So, nope, there you go. That's, that's, that's Tracy's <laughs> that's dog. That's Palomar Dew. All right. So um, we should uh, segue a little bit maybe from here over to. But I mean, I do think, first of all, that all all of the preceding is true. I heard a pretty interesting conversation today between Noah Feldman and uh, Laurie Santos of Yale, who teaches the famous happiness course there uh, on his podcast, Deep Background. And she talked a little bit about how you can use some of these media in, in very specific ways that don't replace normal face to face contact, but aren't maybe quite as weird. So I would recommend that. Uh, um, like she even got together with some of her friends on one of them, I forget which one, to do a spa evening where, you know, some one person was putting on a face and facial mask or whatever and somebody else is doing her nails or whatever. So that's something that I would necessarily do, but it sounded fun. <laughs> um, all right. So time to talk about Onward. Onward is uh, was going to be uh, released to, to theaters. Instead, it was released for digital download. Uh, and uh, it's going to be, I believe, on Disney Plus on April 3rd. Um, and we have all watched it. It's um, the story of elves who are living in a world that has lost all of its magic and resembles our world very closely. Uh, it's two brothers, Barley Lightfoot and Ian Lightfoot. Uh, Ian is played by Tom Holland. You know him as Spider-Man. Uh, uh, Barley is played by Chris you know him as just about every franchise movie that there is these days. And their mom is played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She is Laurel Lightfoot. We're going to have all of them talking here. Uh, here's a little clip from Onward. What do you mean it's from Dad? I don't know. Mom said it was for both of us. What is it? He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. 
I have no idea what it is. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard! What? Hold on. Your dad was an accountant. I mean, he got interested in a lot of strange things when he got sick, but... There's a letter. Dear Ian and Barley, Long ago, the world was full of wonder. It was adventurous, exciting, and best of all, there was magic. And that magic helped all in need. But it wasn't easy to master, and so the world found a simpler way to get by. Over time, magic faded away. But I hope there's a little magic left in you. And so I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. Visitation spell. I don't believe this. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. So there's kind of a, lash, a mashup here of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Dungeons and Dragons and virtually any other fantasy franchise you can invoke. This is a very postmodern, self-aware movie about the kind of story that it's telling. Uh, we, we are in just a few seconds going to talk to some actual uh, certified children about this. Maybe before we do this, though, let's hear from the grownups. So, uh, Wu, uh, maybe get us going here. How did Onward, before we hear from uh, Claire, let's hear what how Onward landed with you. I thought it was really cute. Um, I, I enjoyed it, and we do a lot of Disney movies here. Um, but I would say that it probably wouldn't be in my top ten, but it was cute. I laughed. I cried. All right. Uh, and Carolyn, uh, I don't even know how we persuaded you to actually spend money on Onward, uh, given how little incentive you would have necessarily to watch this. First of all, do you, do, will you watch that this kind of movie uh, unbidden by obligations to the nose? Is this a movie that you would have watched? You know, of everything that we've watched for this, this is probably something I would have more likely watched than <laughs> something else. I, I I do love a good cartoon. Um, so, and, and I mean, I specifically love like the Disney Pixar's like Monsters, Inc. and Zootopia because of that altered reality that they create in such detail like a world inhabited by monsters like you know done through their eyes and their interests and their style and like that animal world in Zootopia and for me that was kind of the best part of this movie were like just all the little details every little sign in the background and just how they took our world and put it into this world um I mean but I wasn't like blown away by the plot of this or a lot of the, the the writing. I went into it with really high hopes, and I mean, it didn't like disappoint me. But I wasn't um, I wasn't like in love with it. Right. I mean, you know, Seinfeld famously had this rule: no hugging, no learning. Uh, we know there's going to be hugging and learning in this movie. We pretty much <laughs> guess uh, who's going to learn what uh, as we go along here. Uh, there aren't too many surprises that way. But Pedro, you're you're um, a sci-fi and fantasy fan, maybe more than the other two panelists. And I do think one of the things that this gets at in an interesting way, it's kind of similar to the Justin Long character uh, in <laughs> Galaxy Quest. You know, what if it's real? What if all of this yeah. 
boring stuff that I have to live with every single day is the fakery and the stuff that I love, the fantasy-driven <laughs> stuff that I really love. What if that's that's the real thing? And it's the it's the secret hope of a lot of people, I think. And so I don't know. How did that? Do you think they sort of got at that in an interesting way? Anyway. Yeah, I, I think they got close. Um, actually, if they had, you know, made it a like more separate, that magic was a lot long ago and it was really just a myth. I think that would have worked better. Um, but I think that in terms of how they play with the tropes of fantasy, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons, if you know, the, the gelatinous cube is, is a pretty deep cut if you know anything about dungeons and dragons um you know the the, the gelatinous cube is 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 pretty hilarious so um you know i really think that um they 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 stayed true to a lot of those tropes and and it worked it worked well um you know is this my favorite movie ever no but um i mean man pixar's got this down to to kind of an art you know and, and kind of a pretty solid formula you know they know exactly what buttons to press and when to press them and when the i don't know if this was michael giacchino but usually the when the michael giacchino music kind of swells up and you know you you have those uh those those large grown person tears about you know your childhood or something so you know it's it's so you know from that way i i really enjoyed the movie yeah, I mean, if if I have a complaint with it, uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, it's that that in some ways, I mean, it, it, that it didn't make me cry, and I'm a really easy cry, particularly at this kind of a movie. <laughs> but I sort of felt as though, you know, in some ways, the stakes didn't feel high enough. I mean, as I think I said in one of our emails, you know, in Beauty and the Beast, even if you know this story, you get kind of worried, you know, that something really bad might happen, you know, like something really bad might happen. And then you have this kind of comic relief and it's the candlestick, Jerry Orbach and the clock, you know, and I felt like these two elves, Ian and Barley, they were like the comic relief in some more, more, I don't know, more dramatic and exciting movie that I wasn't seeing. I loved Barley. I thought he was hilarious. I thought he was probably the most redemptive character, too. Um, my tears kind of came from the fact that they may not be able to see their dad. I didn't grow up with my mom uh, for most of my childhood, so I think that hit a, a particular chord. Yes, the, the longing to see the dad is uh, certainly uh, a very real thing there. Well, let's let's hear for, from some kids, uh, well, depending on their willingness to do so. Uh, so I hear Claire in the background. Maybe she wants to get things going. Uh, yes, Claire. she's eager. Okay, so Claire, tell us about Onward. Did you like it? Tell me. What do you have to tell me? Sorry, guys. All right. Well, you'll do a little bit more coaching okay, with Claire. So what did you think of Onward? Tell Mr. Colin. Did you like it? Yeah. What was your favorite part? What was the funniest part? Um, when I used a cheetah as a boat. Oh, that was good. That was good. I'm with you. I'm with you. Was Claire? Was it ever sad? Did you think it was sad at all? When they got stuck in the water. Yeah. When the water went. In. Yeah. Yeah. She was afraid. I think that they were going to have a lot of trouble in the water trying to get out of there. Right. But oh. they got out. <laughs> <laughs> we so, had the other game when um, this red smoke made the um, big dragon took pieces of school and right. police car. 
So, Claire, you should have Mommy explain the concept of spoilers to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you but should actually, know that if you have a six-year-old on, it's going to be a thousand percent spoilers. A thousand percent spoilers. Actually, the thing that she just referred to, which I think we'll, we can sort of leave hanging a little bit here. I actually did think it was one of the more ingenious things, is the, the dragon that you meet at the end and what it's made out of. It's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. But we also have, we have another uh, guest panelist here, and that would be uh, Elle, who is the daughter of uh, Pedro. Um, Elle, uh, we, I think we have you by phone. Are you there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about this. Did, first of all, did you, overall, did you like Onward? Oh, I loved it. It, it, was, it was really nice. It was good. All right. And, and if you were to say... Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Claire. Did you ever find it sad? Was there any part of it that was sad? Um, not really. <laughs> All right. And so, so well, tell me was, your... Yeah, go ahead. It was kind of sad when Ian didn't get to see his dad. <laughs> right. Well, Again... A little bit of a spoiler, but not that, not really, not really. That doesn't really spoil anything, actually. Um, but yeah, so, and I don't know, did you have a favorite part or a favorite character? I really, it was super funny when the manticore destroyed her own cavern. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, if you've been jotting all this down, you pretty much have the plot of, uh, <laughs> of Onward here. Well, first of all, I want to say special thanks to Claire and special thanks to Elle. I think you've just made uh, Connecticut public uh, history, uh, the first children ever to appear on the nose, but certainly not the last. This is uh, an excellent experiment. Um, And (laughs) so just to come back to all this. um, So, Carolyn, I I am sort of curious to know, because not to say that you complain all the time about the movies that we make you go see, but you do complain like 80% of the time about <laughs> yeah. the movies that yeah. we make you go see. So why? what do you think it is that makes a movie like this more appealing to you? Because, I, first of all, I want to say, as you know, a boring uh, reality-based grown-up, I, I was entertained by this movie all the way through. And I think Pedro has a good point, which is these people, they really know what they're doing. They know how to make a movie that has a certain kind of pace that doesn't, you know, y- your attention is not allowed to wander. You're always given some new visual form of stimulus or something. I mean, maybe that's part of it. But what do you love about these movies? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a nice, maybe it's because right now we're all starving for that break from reality. But in general, like that is the appeal of a cartoon and something that like Disney and Pixar do so well is kind of trans transport you into this land and into this, into this plot. And it does, it, it's, it is not boring. I guess that's something that like some of the movies we've had to see here, I I'm really like struggling to stay, to stay interested and not like start playing with my phone in a movie theater or something. Uh, this movie did hold my interest and, and again, had all those fun, those fun little details. Like I love that there was a bag of cheese curls that was called Gorgonzola's cheese puffs. Just the little things like that, that for some reason crack me up. Right. And we should say, I mean, Pedro, I think this is one of the ways that this movie works. And you've kind of alluded to to it already, which is, you know, with no particular preconceptions, a person could watch this movie and be entertained by it, you know, but and then but you are rewarded the more that, you know, you know, if you if you know something about Dungeons and Dragons, if you pick up a little thing like Gorgonzola's uh, Chiefs Puffs and uh, related to Gorgons, there's a way in which, you know, you can you can, I don't know, enjoy this movie at any number of levels. 
Definitely. I mean, I think Pixar excels at that, um, especially in just in just in in making movies that work both for kids and adults, just on so many different levels that you know kids can get one thing out of it and adults can get another. Um, you know, in terms of the world building that they do, and I know that's kind of a tired phrase, but they do a really good job. Um, the other thing I really like about Pixar movies is that um, you know they don't they're not franchise material so you know this is a real standalone story and it really feels like it's meant to be like it's been told it's done um you know i don't think we're gonna see an onward two or onward three um and i really like that pixar does that because i love the marvel movies i love you know sci-fi and fantasy but you know nowadays so many movies are are you know the first movie is 70 percent build up to create the next two and so, you know, it's just a different type of storytelling. And this feels like a, a nice, solid beginning, middle and end. And, and we're done and seen. And, you know, I don't need to come back to this world, but I'm glad it exists. All right. So uh, when uh, Onward 4 is on, we're going to have Pedro back on as a guest <laughs> yes. and uh, make him repudiate exactly. everything that he just said. But for now, we're going to uh, well, one. This is kind of a through line, a Papulian through line uh, to the next segment. One of the names we haven't mentioned is that of Olivia Spencer, the tremendous actress who voices this manticore, an actual monster, uh, a, a chimera who is running a restaurant that's sort of a Chuck E. Cheese kind of place that's a birthday party place it's uh, everything ferocious about her has been turned into something commercial which is exactly what we're going to talk about in the second segment <laughs> places where everything ferocious <laughs> has been turned into something commercial for people to enjoy in a much more pedestrian way we'll be talking about the tiger king after the break All right, so we are back. We are um, about to uh, discuss the Tiger King, which is the story of maybe a world that most of us didn't know too much about. It's the world of exotic um, big cat uh, exhibition spaces, you might say, but much uh, seedier than that. And the world people who populate that world, and not all of whom insist on having 32 teeth. So uh, just to begin, <laughs> uh, we are going to hear a little montage um, from episode one. Take it away, cat. Animal people are nuts, man. And I might be one of them people, I don't know. But they're all half out there, man. They're crazy. You know, the monkey people are a little bit different. Okay, good boy. Good boy. You know, they're kind of strange, but the big cat people are backstabbing pieces of a decades-long feud comes to a bizarre end. Tiger King stands accused of trying to have a woman killed. You know, there's not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. So I'm sure, I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. This is a prepaid call from Jelly Exotics, an inmate at the Grady County Jail. You know what they threatened me with? 79 years. I went to work every day prepared to die in a tiger cage. Dying doesn't scare me. At all. 
All right. Well, so, Carolyn, this is a very difficult um, series to summarize, and we wouldn't want to spoil too many things. One of the reasons we're not having Elle and Claire on for this segment is that, first of all, they should never in a million years watch this, but also there are all kinds of things that we probably don't think people should know until they are told. In fact, one of the reasons that... Um, one of the one of the things that this does very well, I think, is set up one set of expectations and then pivot away to from them towards another. But but Carolyn, there are things that we can. I don't know if you were trying to describe to someone this series in a way that would persuade them to watch it. What would you say to them? Uh, okay, so there is a uh, like polygamous gay man with a half bleached mullet who collects tigers. Uh, and then another guy who has like a shady yoga kind of ish cult where he also has tigers and women wearing like leopard unitards under his spell. And then uh, a woman who claims to be saving tigers, but probably fed her dead ex-husband to them. And this is just kind of the this this documentary just kind of follows all of them and the murder plot that connects them, I guess. <laughs> All right, so if that sounds like fun to you, but the thing is, <laughs> I I, I'm try, I was trying to figure out. I, I mean, that is that's that that's that's Tiger King, uh, and really, it's Netflix gift to a broken world right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just want to hear from the rest of the panel. Uh, Pedro, did you regard this as a gift to your broken reality? Oh, totally. I mean, I started watching um, the first episode, and just these people are. I just couldn't believe that they were like real and that they existed, you know, and and then you just get to the end of the first episode and you're just like, what? And then you get to the end of the second and you're just like, ah, and then you get to the end of the third and you're just like, come on. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the whole story that's laid out and I know it's from a documentarian's eye and it's sort of edited to, to kind of deliver this. But wow. Um, yeah, it's just. It is it is such a perfect escape from reality right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, Tracy Fastenberg, how about you? So when when this came up as a topic for this Friday, I started after going, I'm not going to get through seven episodes of this. Um, and Carolyn said, it's what you need is what you wanted and never wanted. Um, I watched all seven episodes <laughs> like very quickly because it was it was something that I never knew I wanted never yeah. probably needed but absolutely needed um, yeah there's not one person there that i'm like really i want to be friends with you i would love you in my life but you just can't stop watching because it is i i know it probably wasn't timed for um the current situation in the world but really the cosmos could not have aligned more perfectly well, you oh my know, God. so we yeah, go ahead. we actually spread out watching it. I mean, it would have been such an easy binge, but we got like three episodes in, and we decided we wanted to like savor this slowly <laughs> over a multi-night event. Oh, because you need a reason to wake up every morning. So. <laughs> we're we're I, yeah we're through the third and a little into the fourth, so have not finished it. But I think yeah, like one one per night to kind of wrap this thing up might might be. What I'm, well, what we're gonna do as well. I I find you know that I really want to be able to linger over some expired Walmart meat uh, when I'm <laughs> watching this. Uh, it just sort of makes me feel like a, I'm a little bit bigger part of the whole thing. So yeah, I mean you know there, I guess maybe the biggest question that I have is 
you know, with what attitude are we watching this? I mean, in a way, I'm sometimes worried that I'm a coastal elite looking at all these people who I think no matter how you, you slice it, pardon the expression, um, are are reprehensible. You know, they've done they've done things that are unquestionably bad things. And there's a lot of them more than we could easily enumerate. I mean, the number of people who I mean, there's a guy who's like a former drug lord who seems like one of the yeah. more well-balanced and yeah. acceptable people. <laughs> I might people. want to be friends with him. He was he did seem really interesting <laughs> and seemed to have his stuff together by now. But I, like I, on the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, a little bit of this is sort of Donald Trump's America. A lot of the other people are waiting to get their $1,200 checks in the mail. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of these people are really poor. The people who work there, they're not paid well. They live in squalid conditions. You know, I, I, in some, time, some ways, I wasn't always comfortable with how, you know, with, with snickering at all this. Peter, does that make any sense to you? No, oh, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, I think that the fascinating thing is that both of these, you know, uh, the two kind of principal um, folks, the guy in South Carolina and, you know, the Tiger King himself, um, they both kind of draw in kind of the down, kind of downtrodden uh, people who, you know, in terms of, of uh, um, Mr. Magic, you know, it's in some cases, you know, he's bringing people in who have no choice um, and in giving them kind of a second chance and giving them a purpose, um, you know, but, they live in squalor in both sides. You know, they're kind of all these people under the thrall of someone who's kind of giving them a higher purpose, but at the same time, you know, kind of keeping them in these, I guess, I hate to say the metaphor, but in these cages, right? Like mm -hmm. through that purpose that they, they then live in, in poverty and squalor. It's, it's really crazy. Well, yeah, and, and Tracy, one of the things that I kept thinking is, so the primary characters here, the, 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 the Joe Exotic, who we'll say a little bit more of in, about in just a second, uh, and Carol Baskin, uh, who is his rival, uh, and uh, Doc Antel, is that his name, uh, who's the one running yeah. the, the, yeah. the more heterosexual polygamous cult, not the, not the gay polygamous <laughs> cult, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, I think what we're seeing are these very, very narcissistic people who are on power trips, and they're they're on a power trip with this, these animals. There's got to be a, a tremendous sense of power. Here's a 900-pound tiger that can snap me in half, and yet I really do control its life and the life of a whole bunch of other, you know, pretty dangerous cats. And then here are all these people who are working for me, sometimes for $100 a week, sometimes volunteering to get up through this kind of Scientology-like maze of different colored T-shirts. Uh, Tracy, I, I thought this was almost as much about narcissism as it was about big felines. I think it's absolutely about narcissism, but I think that narcissism is masking an insecurity. You know, I think that it's going over the top in everything, going over the top in the big cats, in their uh, demand of control and the way they organize things and what they demand of other people. It's really masking this terrible insecurity and loneliness in all of them. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and, mm -hmm. and maybe uh, we would agree with uh, that, especially about if there is a central character to the uh, series. And I think I would argue there is, although I think we could also have a big argument about who the real Tiger King is. But nominally, anyway, <laughs> it's this guy, Joe Exotic. I think his real name is Joseph Schriebvogel or something like that. Uh, and so let's hear uh, a little bit from uh, the first episode, Not Your Average Joe. Uh, I think what you hear is Joe Exotic talking to the filmmaker, Eric Good. And this is the Tiger King gift shop where I have all of my stuff. 
we got honey, we got barbecue sauce, we have steak sauce, skin cream. I have sex gel for you and her. Sex uh, gel. The best seller out of this gift shop is actually Tiger King underwear line. People just go crazy over them because they're all in animal print. And do you wear these yourself? I don't wear underwear. <laughs> you don't wear underwear? No. Oh. Free bullet. <laughs> wow. I've been the cover of Hollywood Magazine twice. <laughs> I have my first two albums that I did. This is my first album, I Saw Tiger, and this is my second album, Starstruck. And there's 28 songs and 16 music videos. Cause I saw Tiger, now I understand. I saw Tiger, Tiger saw man. Tell all the hunters. Lay down there. I, I can't back this up, but I personally did not think that that was really him singing. Uh, that, that he, it sounds... <laughs> that is, it, it's, what made it's, you think that? It is, yeah, it is, you're, you're kidding. Him. No, it's not him. Uh, it's two two other country singers uh, I, I discovered. <laughs> All right. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But uh, no, it just didn't seem that that was, you know, but. Carolyn, there's a the, the re, way this guy becomes the focus is really interesting because you know a, a lot of these people seem like they're pretty opportunistic exploiters who maybe you know lucked into a certain kind of situation. There's something fascinating about this guy. You could almost imagine that, given a different set of circumstances, as bizarre as he is, as completely out of the normal range as he is on about. 25 different indexes you could sort of imagine running general electric if his life had been a little bit different or i don't know what carolyn what's your take on uh, joe well not that but um <laughs> <laughs> i you know i i do think this show made me realize like we have all seriously been not considering the sex appeal of the tiger correctly because uh this dude is getting all the all the men all the men and doc is getting everything. I mean, it's just, and Carol, it's just crazy to me. Like I was like, wow, I guess I should be putting a, getting a photo with a large tiger and putting that as my dating profile pick. Been missing out on that. I think that the, the tiger King guy, Joe would have like given different opportunities would be like Siegfried and Roy. Right. Like that's I think that's what he was like trying to go for. He's sort of this like backwoods Siegfried and Roy who just failed at doing that horribly. Um, so I, I think like in other situations, he would have at least at the very least been some sort of like actor. He obviously he, is a star. He is a performer, but he is just like this starved, failed performer. To me, I kept watching this thinking like this needed to be a Christopher Guest mockumentary. I wanted a Christopher Guest portrayal of Tiger King. But if you back that, it up a little bit and you think about how he came into the Tigers, you know, and, and into that world, you know, it started out pretty tragically. He was rejected by his father. He, you know, was in this horrible state of depression and, and you know, self-harm. And he just sort of fell into it by who his mentor wound up being. Um, you know, so in a way, he could have been anything, um, he probably would have wound up somewhere in, in performance and entertainment and still needing that sort of, you know, shine yeah. and spotlight on in him. In a more positive but way. It was, it was such a weird way that he wound up in it and kind of tragic. Yeah, I think for sure. And he, you know, the funny thing is, is throughout this whole documentary, like I, I kept finding myself sort of being 
team Joe. And I was like, I know he's not. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, between all these characters, they're all like, I mean, they're just deplorable humans in, in a lot of ways. But I was still kind of rallying for him um, and, and kept trying to justify why I felt like he was doing the right thing or was the best of the best of the bunch. With him, it's almost like you look at him going, stop making bad decisions. Stop making bad right. decisions. And you're looking at right. some of these other folks and going, you're just really terrible. Well, you know, you know? So but the, their bad choices are from different places. At least that's the way it's presented. To paraphrase an old blues song, in Joe's case, if, case, if it wasn't for bad decisions, he wouldn't have no decisions at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so what, you know, one thing that I, I wanted to just observe, I guess this is me being kind of a public radio guy or something, but, you know, there's sort of a way in which Donald Trump has tried to um, characterize the coronavirus as the Chinese flu or the Wuhan uh, mm -hmm. virus or, or whatever. And this, this kind of says, well, they have these really odd practices over there and they, you know, they have pangolins and bats and stuff in their wet markets. Well, I would just like to direct your attention to all of these wild animals, these animals that do not <laughs> belong in the place that they are right now this is where it's absolutely the tr the case that uh, pandemic experts epidemiologists say that you know where a lot of these pandemics seem to come from is people coming into contact with animals they were never meant to come into contact with but as we can see in this particular movie that is not a habit that is exclusively confined to china <laughs> there's lots of right. other people doing kind of crazy things i mean a lot of these animals who knows where they came from who knows where they were before it's not a particularly healthy situation uh, for probably anybody. Uh, Tracy, I think I heard you uh, about to chime in there. Oh yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I think that you know, especially in the current situation, people like to point their fingers at what they see as being you know different. Yeah, we're not that different here. You know, there's definitely a subset of people that are uh, either smuggling or keeping or whatever. You know, these creatures that should not be um, in this environment. So don't right. point fingers too quickly. Uh, yeah, Caroline, I think, yeah, go ahead, Pedro. Oh, the scale of it, too, is just astounding. I mean, the fact that, you know, they just kind of breezily pass us at the beginning, but that are, apparently there are more tigers in, in the U.S. in captivity than there are in the wild and, like, the rest of the world. It's just like, wow. That's, that's crazy. That's right. crazy. And we're, we're just talking tigers and, and all kinds of other wild cats yeah. right now. But, of course, there's one semi-minor character in this who conducts his entire interviews with a monkey in, in his lap. Uh, and Not in a, his lap, in his shirt, in, in his, his t-shirt. <laughs> Inside, Whatever. he's thought, wearing you know, a monkey. Yeah. The, the monkey goes a lot of different places, I think. It's sort of like a little kid that's kind of hanging around him, causing trouble. But um, but also, you know, there's a, I forget who it is, but somebody's wife makes, you know, costumes for the monkeys and buys, I guess, preemie outfits. Preemie clothing. Better yeah. wardrobe yeah. than most humans. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yes, I mean, I think we there is no particular society that has a franchise, an exclusive franchise on strange relationships uh, with with animals. And it really did make me think, you know, if you're worried about animals and you're going to make some kind of a donation, I went on Charity Navigator today and <laughs> one of these organizations has a four star rating. And I thought you clearly haven't watched this documentary, Charity Navigator, but you should probably be giving money to something like Panthera uh, or, or the David, David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation, some kind of organization that tries to keep these animals in their proper environment, tries to maintain the ecosystems where these cats and monkeys and stuff like that live, not something that, you know, keeps them in Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> 
All right. So I assume we're all recommending um, Tiger King for those. I mean, although, you know, I, I think it, it should be noted, Pedro, I, I've saw, run into people on Facebook who were really bothered by it, who were troubled by it, who thought these people were just scary. Uh, and they are not nonviolent people. So, uh, you know, maybe it's not for everybody. I mean, it is it is extreme. Um, you know, I think that if you're, you know, sensitive to like animal rescue and things, I mean, you know, these these animals are in some cases in pretty rough, rough uh, environments, um, you know, and, and so you feel bad for them. And it is I mean, um, yeah, it's definitely not uh, it's definitely rated for it. You need to be OK with seeing a lot of pretty, you know, crazy and extreme Right. At least language and, and things. But, um, you know, if you're in the true crime genre, if that's kind of the direction that your tastes go, um, you know, this is this fits really well into that. So. All right. Well, uh, so that's the Tiger King. It's on Netflix. Uh, you can either uh, savor each episode like a delicious morsel of expired <laughs> Walmart meat, or you can just binge the whole thing through like a pizza, uh, whatever you want to do. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back. We're going to leave some time for some recommendations. And we are back on the nose. Uh, our guest today, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we can't list all of our accomplishments, although <laughs> we're going to get into one of them in just a second here. Pedro Soto is president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies. Uh, he has to be at work today because he's still keeping mm -hmm. America on the march. Uh, Tracy Wu <laughs> Fastenberg is development officer at Connecticut Children's. See, I could do it now. I knew I knew how to do it. Uh, before we go to the recommendations, I got to thank once again Cat Pastor. Uh, she uh, is doing amazing things, uh, keeping us on track here. Jonathan McNichol is the producer of this episode. Katie Tolarski and Tim Rasmussen are our big bosses, and behind the scenes, people like Joe Koss and Gina Matruda are uh, making this decentralized new experiment in radio actually work. So that's amazing. So we're going to do some recommendations, and Tracy, I'm going to have you go first because your recommendation will lead to a very, very quick uh, discussion. So go ahead. So uh, my first recommendation is you need to check out Marilyn's endeavor in the West End of doing a uh, Les Mis with her neighbors. And it is kind of the most amazing video you will ever see. Um, it's linked on WNPR from March 24th too. But if you just need a good smile, a good laugh, and just to feel good, um, check it out. Let me just, I just uh, don't even know how she put it all together. Right. So <laughs> let me just quickly uh, resummarize that because we're having some Skypey problems there. But so, yeah, one of the things that Carolyn did last weekend was to get her neighborhood in the West End uh, to work together and sing a song one day more uh, from Les Mis. Very appropriate for all of us waiting for this thing to be over. So, so Carolyn, yeah, I just, I, I, as you know, I was very, I was all I could do not to get in my car and drive down and join the chorus. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think at this time, that urge that you had and other people have had, you know, it's like the people singing and playing their instruments from the balconies in Italy. Montrealers this week got together and uh, tried to simultaneously sing a Leonard Cohen song. He's kind of the patron saint of, of Montreal. Um, 
Carolyn, what you did, I think, was like a really important thing. I don't know if you've got anything you want to say about the experience of doing it. Um, well, thanks. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I just thought it would be something really fun. I kind of threw it out there on Facebook on our neighborhood group. And uh, I was thrilled when people were just so enthusiastic about it and really got into it. People wore costumes. They had props. Um, and, and they really went for it. It's a really hard song to sing and, and people just went, you know, it, it, it was beautiful. And then I edited it all together and, uh, put it out there, uh, cause it, it just, it, it made me happy to do it. And it made me happy when I sat down and watched it. And I, I'm loving hearing how happy it has made everyone who has seen it. And, um, it, the cool thing for me was I got to know so many of my neighbors, um, and, and they're amazing people. And I think that this is a time where we really need to stick together while staying apart. Um, so doing something like this was a really fun way for me as a performer to, to do. Right. So, one, of, one of your neighbors apparently owns an 18th century long coat that he just has available <laughs> to put that, put on, which is a kind of interesting thing. All right. I'm going to circle back around to you guys to get more endorsements, but Pedro, I'll go to you next. What, what have you got? Uh, my endorsement is um, for all of the legions of uh, uh, kids that are home. Um, my endorsement is Science Mom, and um, Science Mom and Math Dad are a husband and wife who do live streaming of science and math uh, for kids. The show uh, is on Facebook, so Facebook.com/slash The Science Mom, um, and um, L has been loving it. It is, I think, on the East Coast, it's 11 to 1. It's about two solid hours. And um, I've seen some of them. It's really great for kids. All right. Uh, I'll do a sneak and a quick endorsement here. Uh, the series Reply All is a tremendous podcast series anyway. It's sort of about two guys who are just obsessive in their pursuit of mysteries of the Internet. And so the one that is getting a tremendous amount of publicity right now uh, is an episode called The Case of the Missing Hit. Is that what it's called? Uh, it, it's, the, it's the story. Yeah, The Case of the Missing Hit. It's a story, they, they, sort of a guy in L.A. who remembers a song from the late 90s. He remembers all the words. He remembers some of the orchestration. But there's no evidence that this song exists. They, nobody else can can find it, can prove that it exists. And so the two hosts of the show decide to crack this mystery. And they, I guess I won't say too much about it. They do not let up. They, they go everywhere. They ask everybody. They put Rolling Stone music critics around a table. They, uh, they hire a band to try to recreate this song that exists only in this guy's head. Uh, and it's just a, a load of fun. It has something interesting to say, too, about music. All right, Carolyn, you didn't get to endorse anything yet uh so what have you got um okay so i am going to endorse uh i mean i don't even feel like this needs an endorsement but one of the things i am just like loving right now of being home and having all this time is getting to watch jeopardy every night mm -hmm. <laughs> um so i mean that sounds like such it's so weird because it to me it like used to be a luxury if i happen to be home i usually like dvr it but there is like something really uh, great about just watching that and uh, playing along. And I know it just sounds like such a simple pleasure, but I, I'm, I'm like finding those. So I'm going to endorse Jeopardy. Uh, an excellent endorsement. And I think, Tracy, you mentioned you had a, a second one. Yeah. Um, 
I know that in this time, a lot of it's a little more serious. A lot of people are hearing that some folks are calling this the Chinese virus, the Wuhan virus. Um, I'm just encouraging people, if you hear people using those words, speak up. Tell them that it's not right. Um, I understand the Chinese government is culpable for some things, but don't conflate a government with, with actual people. Um, there are people like me who have had really bad experiences out in our blue, blue state to the point where I don't really want to even walk around my neighborhood for fear of something happening sometimes and, and having to get over that fear and lots of other friends around the state. So if you hear people using it, first of all, don't use it yourself, but just speak up. And, and it's kind of a great service to your neighbors who happen to be Asian. Um, also, ch sidewalk chalk. Get out there. Make some art and throw the kids out there. People walking around love to see it. Right. Sidewalk chalk is absolutely everywhere as far mm -hmm. as I can tell. It is something, anything that you can do outdoors is suddenly very uh, exciting to you. I'll just quickly throw in one more thing if you want a, a quick thing to listen to. This is from the radio station KUNC, uh, and it's uh, about a guy who has been doing social distancing for a really long time, for almost 50 years. He's been living in, in a town all by himself. So if you go, over to, the, go to the station KUNC, you'll see uh, an NPR-looking report. All right, got to look at my atomic clock. Kat, I think we're done here. So thanks to our terrific panelists and thanks to Kat and to Jonathan and to all of you for joining us, too. I hope we're a good company here during this time of social distancing. And talking about that, and talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain. Vernon, I already said that one. Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.